Welcome to Breaking the Stigma, a podcast brought to you by Let's Talk Men's Mental Health. During this episode, we sat down and spoke with Mark Anthony. Uh, Mark discussed his journey into and through the world of mental health, how things have changed, and the difference between mental health and mental illness. Mark shares his passion and knowledge with us, with his brilliant insight into the world of emotional self-care that we call mental health. Enjoy. Our first guest started his career in the mental health professional services back in 1996, where he worked as a dementia healthcare assistant. And over the last 24 years, he's worked his way up to a nurse therapist and a trainer of the workforce. I've known him since I was a kid, um, probably about the same time he started from going to watch him football. And he is a professional, Mark Anthony. How are you doing, Mark? Uh, evening, chaps. How are you doing? You okay? All good, good buddy. All good. Yeah, good. Good stuff. Good. Nice weather. Can't complain. Yeah, lockdown would have been a bit more difficult with the rain, no doubt. Definitely, mate. Definitely. We were talking about that today, actually, with uh, some guy saying that uh, I think it would have been a lot worse if it was raining for the last eight weeks, so I can't complain. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, with your experience, Mark, over the last 24 years, what sort of um, changes have you seen from when you started to now? How, how have things progressed and you were sort of in the professional sector then? So, if I can just go back before I became a registered mental health nurse, Mike Greeley, and kind of yeah. talk a little bit about... Um, my ideas of mental health growing up, really. Um, I, I've thought about this long and hard <clears throat> before coming on tonight, and I, I came to, I've come to the conclusion that I hadn't heard the word anxiety as a kid. My experience was people had bad nerves. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I heard a lot about a place in Bridgend called Park Hospital. I remember watching a movie called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's <laughs> Nest and thinking, oh, my God, that's terrifying. Yeah? yeah. And then... I guess, in terms of my own story, my mother um, and my father both had passed away by the time I was 20, but my dad passed away when I was 16, and I'd kind of gone in between a couple of different jobs. And then, I guess, my own journey was one of, where do I fit? What, do, um, what, what kind of job do I want to do? And it was a neighbour who kind of, ironically of all things, came past on my doorstep, my neighbour, and said to me, my God, you look like you've lost a pound and found a penny. She said, what's the matter? Oh, I said, all the boys have gone out having a drink and I can't afford to go out. I haven't got a job. And I just turned 18, Mike and Sean. And I said, um, she said, well, you know what you want to do, she said. You want to come over and work with me in the nursing home? And I was like, ah, right. I said, but I've never done that. I didn't think I could ever provide personal care for people because, you know, as far as I was concerned, that was about kind of cleaning people up and kind of yeah, seeing yeah, yeah. it in a kind of way which I wasn't really familiar with. I was still a young man, pretty much a young boy, really. And um, she said, she said, well, if you want to, she said, you can come over and have an interview at four o'clock. She really short the staff. And this, these were the days before police checks, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. thank God. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank God for me because it started my career. And uh, all of a sudden, I find myself trying to kind of borrow one of my uncle's shirts and a pair of his trousers to go for this interview. And I'm still thinking at this point, will I still get out with the boys if I go for the interview? Maybe, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, at eight o'clock, I was doing my first shift that night, which is bizarre when you think about it. Uh, and you yes. actually think about today where you've got to go through rigid you know, kind of um, DBS and all that sort yeah. of stuff, which is right and it's and it's proper. But all of a sudden, I found myself from three o'clock in the afternoon feeling sorry for myself because I couldn't have a pint down in the pub in Mountain Ash to 
here I was caring for very vulnerable people suffering with, at that point, what I'd recognized as probably the first introduction I'd had to mental illness, which was dementia mm-hmm. in, in, in most yeah, of the yeah. so were there in a nursing home at the top of the hill in Mount Ash in Perth, Kellen, sorry. So for me, I kind of started to kind of get a sense that, ah, maybe mental health isn't what I thought because there were people there who um, had advanced dementia and there were people there who were early stage dementia. But a lot of, a lot of my kind of character forming came from learning from these people, you know, and listening yeah, to their stories and yeah. family stories. So I think how it's changed for me since then is that after about three or four years there, I'm working with some people. I thought, well, I'd really like to be a mental health nurse, but there's a bit of a problem. I left Mount Comp with no qualifications. <laughs> I literally hated school. Um, didn't like school at all. I had a rubbish experience in school, really. So I thought, oh, okay, that's, this is who I am. And at that point, we were on before minimum wage. It was 250 an hour. So if you were taking home 400 quid a month, you thought that you were quids in. Yeah. Anyway, time went on and um, I stayed there. And then I was offered a job to work in the new Asda's. The new Asda's, which has now been in Aberdeen for 21 yeah. years. And it was like, oh my God, hang on, I can earn almost double. But I went to work in Asda's and I instantly regretted it. And I thought, no, even though I'm on less money in the nursing home, Something about me missed that. And then a twist of fate in my own personal life, whereby, um, unfortunately, my daughter died at birth. And um, at that point, my mother had passed away as well, in between the story I've just told you. And I think I said this to you when we met before, Mike and Sean, I said, you know, they're not going to die for nothing. Something's got to come out of grief. I think something positive has got to come out of it, because otherwise... I'll just turn down the path probably of regulating my mental health with substances and kind of finding myself. Yeah, I, could, I agree with you. So, you know, whether that was alcohol or whether it was kind of illicit, I thought, no, I need to kind of make their story and their lives worth something. So um, I said to my ex-partner at the time, I said, um, you know, I'm going to go college and I'm going to become a mental health nurse. And she laughed and she said, you haven't got no qualifications. I said, I know, but I'm going to get some. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was blind naivety, absolute blind naivety that said, I said, well, I go to college and 90% is turning up and I'll get all the support I need anyway. I don't want to bore you with that story. But eventually I did the access course. I went and done my mental health degree um, and then my journey broadened. That's, you know? That was your start in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, it- and, and, sorry, Mike. No, sorry, when you said about uh, your mum and also your daughter, the, I had the same sort of thing when my mother passed away. I wouldn't have the career I had now frozen for my mother passed away, which sounds stupid, really, because you should be able to push yourself anyway. But like I said, I've never thought of it like that, so it's a really, really good way of thinking of it, yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, there's a saying which um, I became familiar with kind of a few years ago, and it's um, quite a common saying, but in darkness, we can shine bright this. So yeah, yeah. I think that in our darkest moments, if we can see a chink of light, all of a sudden you can just think to yourself, hang on, there's a purpose for me, there's a reason for me. And if I can't change the past, but I can certainly change the future. And, you know, them dark moments, which I know you guys have bravely discussed in many of your kind of forums over the last few years, um, we've all kind of probably have that bridge to cross at some point and say, what's the point? A A kind of moment where you say to yourself, 
what's all this about? Why is there so much pain? Why is why has life got to be this way? And that'll either make you or break you, I think. And listening to you both over the, over the time we've met, you know, I think I certainly used it as a motivation to say, what would my mother want me to do? Would she want me to crumble yeah. into a ball, curl up? Or would she want me to say, hey, you've got kids, you've got a responsibility. It's almost like a passing of the torch. So that's how yeah, I see Yeah, yeah. No, you know? I agree. I think, yeah, exactly the same as yourself, Mark. If my mother... Was here, which contradicts it. But if my mother was here when I was feeling as low as I was, she wouldn't allow me to have sat and moped and things. She would have told me she was that sort of old school person who would grab me with a scrap and say, "Come on, let's let's get it sorted." So, yeah, I felt I owed it to her as well because, like you said, you do feel because my mother worked hard for what she provided for us as kids. Walked worked hard on life for it, and I think I owed it to her to try and do as much as I could to make her proud. Even though I know she's not here, but you know what I mean. It's Oh, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, I see it like you just said there, Mike. I think I want to touch up on that. You're carrying a torch for that person. You're carrying their memory, you know. Yeah. And in many ways, whether this and I think that's where I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about separating. And I know Sean and I have had this conversation on training days. Separating the difference between mental health and mental illness because they're very different things. For example, I've got mental health today. It's very good. But when people hear the term mental health, I don't think it is a terminology which always helps. Because if someone's mental, or if someone is going to go mental, it is a kind yeah, of negative, okay. is a negative connotation to it. So for me, even though I'm a mental health nurse, I don't like the term mental health nurse. I like, <laughs> if, you know, I like, I like terms like, how's your emotional, how's your emotional well-being today? You know, where are you kind of at in terms of your mood today? Because I think that tells them more of a story. Because we know. But certainly, in terms of your topic of men's mental health, it fluctuates. Yeah, now, I've never thought of it like that, to be honest. With you. So yeah, it's, it's it's a good opener for me. This is because I just refer to it as uh, mental illness, mental health, and you said day to day, it changes massively. Because if I said to you today, "Oh, I've got physical health," you'd think, "Oh, well, which part of your physical health have you got? Have you got a bad, <laughs> yeah. got a bad chest?" But when we yeah. say mental health, it's almost like it's almost like a switch for me that goes on. That's negative. I want to talk about your mental health. Ah, uh, there's nothing wrong with me. Well, I didn't say there was. Yeah. So that's why I, in my in my work, I take away the word and I say, tell me a little bit about your emotions. And then six basic emotions, you know, about sad. And people say, oh, I, I feel down. Uh, what's it like to feel down? And does that always mean you have depression if you feel down? And I think to answer a part of the earlier question you asked about how this changed, for me personally and professionally, that's what's changed. Because I can feel down on any given day, but yeah, I'm yeah. suffering with a mental illness. Yeah. I might feel down because it might be an anniversary of a death. I might feel down because I've just put my pin into my bank account and realized I didn't have as much money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my yeah, football yeah. team may have lost. You know, many reasons and many varying levels as to why somebody feels down. So I think, I hope I'm answering your question well enough, you, and as much as we have to think about the language we use because it's really important yeah, and powerful. Right. Yeah. Do you yeah. think, well, Mark, where you say you, you feel down, do you think you're in a position now um, with your experience and knowledge of what you've gained over these years and your own personal experience as well, if you feel down, like you say, say you're lost in a football, I know how passionate you are about football. I've witnessed yeah. it many times. So <laughs> if you did lose and you were down, are you, for you, you can recognise that you're down, but you know you're only down because of the fact you lost football. Do you think for some people, oh, that downness could just roll on and roll on and roll on? 
I think it's a bit like um, it's a bit like kind of adding things to it. So like almost like a ball of putty is how I describe it. And they say, Do you know, I woke up this morning and I just feel and I feel lacking in energy. That first thought they have. Now we have as human beings, we have about seventy thousand thoughts a day. So you can imagine that at least several hundred of them might be negative. I look too fat. I'm ugly. I'm not as fit as my friends. I don't have as much money as my friends. Why am I failing as a parent? All them things that might not be true, but we think them. And I think what happens is, is that I hear people say to me time and time again, I just come off the phone to a family member who I'm supporting right now through some difficulties. And the first thing he says to me, I've had a good day today. And then the next time he'll phone me, I've had a bad day today. But I'm helping him now to kind of say, Tommy, when you woke up and you opened your eyes, when did you decide it was a bad day? Yeah. Well, I come down the stairs and I noticed that, you know, my kids had made a mess the night before. Okay. And then what happened? And then I went out to the car and I noticed that somebody clipped my car. Okay. And then I went to the bank and I couldn't get no money out because I was overdrawn. Right. So by 10 o'clock in the morning, you decided this was a bad day. Yeah. And then I started thinking about... Um, and I mean, I'm, ta- I'm talking psychology talk here, but then it taps into they call beliefs, mate. It's like, hang on, my life is crap. I'm a failure. Yeah, and you'll yeah. start searching for the evidence to support that, what we call in yeah. CP terms, the odd thought. Yeah, I'm a failure. Nothing goes right for me. My life is crap. Yeah. Why do bad things always happen to me? And then other days they wake up and all of a sudden they go and maybe, they, maybe it is financially, maybe it is about relationships. And oh, guess what? Our parents have said we can have the caravan for the weekend. Oh, that's great. And oh, and the kids are kind of sleeping over their friends tonight, so we can have some us time. Oh, great. And you know, I've just got us some tickets to go and see your favorite rock band. Ah, today's a good day. Yeah. And you guys will know from your conversations that's about influence in our structure, in our brain of serotonin, endorphins, dopamine. Music, music, for example. Is, is, is a perfect is a perfect way to think about that in terms of the brain and the mesosymbolic system and how you put a song on and you break down crying ah it was my yeah. dad's song and then next thing you're kind of plodding along and one of your favorite song comes on and you have this kind of rush like a drug has been induced into your body well that's all chemically based and it's yeah. only it's only what the doctors are trying to do when they're trying to regulate you with ssris and snris and antidepressants of any sort, they're trying to regulate your chemical imbalance. To keep it more level, yeah. Yeah. Man, I, yeah, I never, literally never spoke about it like that. So it's, it's, yeah, that's awesome to, really, to, to think of it like that. Because I have days, like you said, where I, I started using this saying I comment, but I heard in a way, if I woke up, I went, I put bread in the toast and the toast burnt, that could be the end of your day. Because like you say, it could be eight o'clock in the morning. That's ruined your day, but it's only eight o'clock in the morning. How can it ruin your day? Or you could put it in, burn the toast, chuck it in the bin, put more toast in, and forget about it. But some yeah. days I find that you can't. I, me personally, I may struggle to, I said, just using toast as an analogy, I may struggle just to forget about the fact that I burn toast. That's mm-hmm. my biggest thing, I think. Yeah. And, and I think and I think we call it in the profession of mental health triggers. What yeah. am I triggers? You know, so like, for example, we keep talking here, I know, because it's a personal to us about bereavement, but anniversaries. Yeah. Well, like you, Mike, I'm sure I miss my mother every day. So yeah. if I'm sad on the day she died or sad on the day she was born or sad on the day I had news about her dying, then 
I may as well be sad every day. You see yeah. what I mean? Because am I going to allow 365 days of the year to be? And I, and I guess, I guess going back on that subject, there's that, there's that conversation that I have with myself and I have with other people about losing someone, losing something, a relationship ending, money worries, being bullied, whatever it is. They might contribute towards a mental health problem, but they don't always cause a mental illness. Yeah. And I think we, again, I keep on about it, lads, but one of the things I was keen to kind of press forward tonight with, with this conversation was, as a, society, as a society, we have to be much more informed about the language. Again, I keep on about that because, for example, many people go to the GP and they, they turn up on a Monday morning, Tuesday morning, and they say, Doc, I can't sleep. I'm having dark thoughts. I'm restless. Okay. And the doctor gives you um, a medication. For many people, they walk out of that, of that surgery with the prescription, citalopram, sertraline, and it's not just the medication they've gone away with. As far as they're concerned, they've gone away with a diagnosis of depression. Yeah. Well, I've got depression because I've got antidepressants. Yeah. And then what happens is, is that I worked for 10 years as a therapist within children's services. And the amount of times a referral form would be given to me and I would say, dad or mum has a long-standing history of depression. And then I meet mum and I say, so tell me, when did you start kind of, you know, recognizing you had these low mood or this low mood or these depressive symptoms? And she tells me. And then I say, so who did you see? Counselor, psychotherapist, psychiatrist. Oh, never seen nobody. Just tablets, antidepressant tablets. So the reality is, is that lots of people are walking around saying, I suffer with anxiety, I suffer with depression. And they may well suffer with them things. I'm not dismissing that. Yeah. But so a proportion of people who are walking around with, like we've mentioned, very much irrational thinking, very much negative core beliefs about themselves, and don't have a clinical diagnosis, but a reacting tool like you and I have and Sean, to life events. Yeah. So do you think they label it too quickly then, Mark, in society today? Do you think they they put depression, they put anxiety to stuff too easily today then? I think people are becoming, I think what you guys are doing and what other agencies like Mind New Horizon, I think what, you, what the the this last week of Mental Health Awareness Week, I think it's fantastic. And I think the logos that you use, like it's okay not to be okay, they're fantastic. And in this time of corona, coronavirus and COVID-19, as it's called, um, I think people's mental health is going to be affected. Yeah. But I, again, if we said their emotions are affected, in other words, they're sad they can't see the relative before they die. They're sad they can't visit their partner in hospital. If we call this sadness rather than depression, because depression is a clinical presentation. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah. we use words like I'm depressed? Well, I've never been depressed, but I've been low in mood many times. And I've been really sad many times. And I've been really scared many times. But if you said, Mark, have you ever suffered with a mental illness? I'd say, no. I've suffered with varying emotions based on life events. Does that yeah, make sense? Very, yeah, yeah, yeah. Massively, mate, to be honest. Because the way you sort of say that, um, not to keep going back to it, but another past where I went through about a six-month spell where I just had really bad low mood, really. Yeah. And it's just making me think, well, was it depression? Was well, it? Well, but, or was it Was it extreme grief? You know, was yeah. it grief? Was it extreme grief whereby you were really sad that this person would be so important in your life was now no longer there? 
And that for me sums up how I felt. And that's the empathy I can share with you in this conversation, man, is I feel really sad that somebody I loved and nurtured me and kind of brought me into the world is no longer you. And I know that nobody's going to love me as unconditionally as that person did. But there was a, there was even a little bit of, and this is sounds a bit bizarre, but some people watching might not agree, but there's even some selfishness within that. Yeah. My, my, my life is rubbish now because you're not you. No, I, and, yeah, and that, I can relate And when you think about the cycle of grief and the stuff we go through, like anger, you know, kind of denial, um, disbelief, and so on and so forth, it's that sense of, wow, I'm not happy. And if this is how it is, I might not want to be here myself. Yeah. But because the way society labels things, you go to the doctor and you say, Doc, I'm having suicidal thoughts. Oh, well, you must be suffering with depression or you must be suffering. Well, you use these medication. Well, no, actually, you might need a supportive network around you, as I know you've got Mike with the family and your mm. partner and so forth. You might need grief counselling to help your brain process what essentially is a trauma. Yeah. It's too easy. Do you think it's too easy to give a medication out, Mark, with that then, rather than looking at other... Like I said, the views like I'm sharing tonight, the views I'm sharing tonight are my personal views. They're not the views of my employer. So I want to say yeah, that. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think, there's, I think there's a tendency for the quick-fix approach. But I think that's true of so many illnesses. Yeah. Have an edge. Have an addict. Take a painkiller. Well, maybe you need to stop watching so much TV. Maybe you need to stop listening to every rock music. Maybe that might help your addict. Yeah. I think there's things we can do to kind of alleviate symptoms. So, like, one thing that um, I was just pulling up here as I'm speaking to you was, and I know Sean and I have discussed this, um, the five ways to well-being, which is, you know, you can put it into a Google search, five ways to well-being. People are much more, at this present time, taking notice of things like going for walks, recognizing that the environment has changed as a result of less people being about, yeah. you know, connecting with other people. Okay, you can't connect face-to-face at the moment. Quizzes on Zoom and quizzes on WhatsApp and quizzes on Team and so on and so forth. People are connecting maybe more than they have and speaking to people more than they have because they recognize the importance of communication with family members and loved ones. Being active. You see more people on bikes and walking and running now yeah, than probably. Yeah, um, people doing the recovery college that I know Mind and I know that New Horizons and other agencies are such offer. Learning about the world, learning about yourself. People are volunteering more and and doing things. And I think if you were to do them things, most people would do them things. Not everybody, but most people, their mental health, if you want to call it that, would improve. Improve. Oh, yeah, I, my biggest thing is sort of getting out and about, and I am going through a space at the moment of low motivation. But that's that, that's just me. I do, I do have, I am like you said, I, I go up and down. But I yeah. know for a fact, if I went out first thing in the morning, a little run, a little walk, I'll come back and I'm lifted for the whole day without a shadow of doubt, constantly lifted. You've triggered your system because when you say about mental health and physical health, you know, it makes me smile because I think to myself. It's the daftest thing I've ever heard because the brain is an organ. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of your physical being. And without your brain, yeah. how much good. So the <laughs> separate physical health and mental health for me is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Because if your mind, this so-called mind, is in your brain, then what's more physical than the thing that keeps you alive? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the kind of, that's the viewpoint. Uh, and that's my viewpoint. And, um, 
I think it's I think it's really important, like, like I said, to kind of recognise that. And I hope that if anything comes into this conversation with you guys tonight, and if anybody takes anything from this, is that there are really men, severe mentally unwell people suffering with bipolar disorder, suffering with schizophrenia, suffering yeah. with kind of schizoaffective disorder, and all the other illnesses that you know about. And I'm not dismissing that they exist, because of course they exist. They're very real things. But when you look at the research as to the nature nurture debate of what's triggered a lot of these serious mental illnesses, it does usually boil down to things like adverse childhood experiences, trauma. And you'll notice that our conversation tonight has been a lot about our mums, and yeah. that's trauma personally for us. But if you listen to other people's trauma, neglect as a child, bullied in school, brought up in a low-income um, in a, in a low household, you know, um, maybe around domestic violence, maybe around sort of substance misuse. They are the kind of people who walk through the doors of mental health services. Yeah. Again, I'm going back to the early question, because I know this has been a kind of long-winded answer, but the biggest change has been the reduction in the need to institutionalise people. Okay. Yeah, because you think about it, years ago, you know, the Mental Health Act, a bit of trivia for you, you know what it was once called? It used to be called the Lunatics Act. Oh, it was called the Lunatics Act. Can you believe that? And terms like yeah, and people in the eighties in the valleys, and I know that's a question that might come about the change in the valleys. They would say things like, "He needs to be put in Park Hospital, or he needs to put him in Tidvilles." Tidvilles, yeah, you know, your Tidvilles, you know. And I worked there for many years. You know, lock them away. They're different to us. Well, they're not, because no. they mean you. They're me and Sean. They're you and Sean. It's just. Do you think they're not lunatic? The um, the lunatic. Act. Do, do you think that just was starting the fuel for the stigma attached around? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realise it was called. That. It doesn't help things. That doesn't massively do. If you got, if you've got, you know, um, auditory hallucinations and visual hallucinations in some countries, you're considered to be special. You know, you're considered to be a kind of. Uh, and then in this country, if somebody says I'm suffering with auditory hallucinations, rightly so, they need to be assessed. But in many ways, I want to talk tonight about the difference between if you've got somebody with psychosis, for example, and is suffering with a serious mental illness, they need to be treated. They need to be treated by the, prof the right professionals. They may need to be treated under the Mental Health Act. All them things are true. But Again, going back to Sean and I and some training we've done together, one thing that I break it down as is the biopsychosocial model. So the bio being the generic mental illness that people suffer with. They have a predisposition to schizophrenia, predisposition to bipolar, then things need to be treated with mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, and so on and so forth. But a lot of people within this part of the world and across the world are suffering with psychosocial problems. In other words, psychological difficulties and social problems. Yeah, so yeah. some examples of that might be, as I mentioned, they might have abuse issues. They might have trauma. They might have experienced things that have affected the way they think and feel and behave. Socially, you've got now the social crisis of homelessness. Yeah. You meet an homeless person on the streets of Cardiff. I almost guarantee you within the first 10 minutes of the conversation, the majority will tell you that they come from Maybe a childcare system. Maybe they've come from a kind of broken home. 
Um, maybe they've come from many different care settings. Maybe they're using substances to regulate, and they don't quite fit into societal norms anymore. Yeah, um, do you think that's trying to break that cycle, then, Marco? Because I said these cycles are probably been going for donkeys years, isn't it? It's just trying to break them, I suppose. Or the only way, in my opinion, might to break them is to kind of educate people on what I've said earlier: what constitutes a mental illness. Because what happens with these people is, is they get the doors closed in their faces at different times. And I understand some of the reasons for that. So I, I'm very defensive of my colleagues in the mental health system who get criticism at times when they yeah. say, oh, the crisis team wouldn't see them because they were influenced by, for example, MCAT. Well, it's very difficult to assess someone's mental health if yeah. they're <laughs> you know, using a particular drug or if they're yeah. really drunk. So there needs to be a system change. There needs to be an idea. I mean, again, I'm picking on Sean because he's been to a few of my trainings, but the co-occurring framework from the Welsh Government talks about understanding that people regulate their mental health different ways. Yeah. You said earlier you go for a walk. Some people play rugby. Some people play football. Some people play a guitar. Some people, you know, go to the gym. Some people smoke weed. Some people yeah. smoke crack. Some people inject heroin. What they're looking for is that opportunity to be normal yeah. and feel normal. So I'll go back to you just to kind of rubber stamp the point. You said, I'm set up for the day now because I've been for my walk or my run. Yeah, That's no different to the substance misuser who says, I'm set up for the day now. I've had my fix. I can now yeah. deal with what the day throws at me. Am I making sense, guys? Yeah, yeah and to be yeah, honest, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, just to yeah. interject a few things, uh, attending the courses with you, because I was so new to my job, I think it came at the perfect time because, to put it bluntly, I didn't know my arse from my elbow when I really got in there. And it's great that what me and Mike do, but what I thought I knew to what then yeah. I found I didn't know was like, oh, shit, that line's a bit blurred. And then leaving, I was still new enough to it that... I didn't have to change any pre-existing thoughts. There's no ego going on. Well, I've studied this area, for instance, and, and you know, I, I've been on dozens of courses. I leave here, and then people are like, oh, it's a pile of shit that was. Why? That's the first thing I say is, why was it a pile of shit? What didn't you get from it? What did you expect you were coming for? And, like, I did um, homeless legislation training in Cardiff for shelter, uh, with Shelter, and there's people working with homeless people as well going, pile of crap that was. That's a 250-pound course you've just been on. Why was it a pile of shit? And they couldn't answer it. And like, I took loads away from it. I, you know, it confused the hell out to me with all the things that I take in. But again, you've got to go in there with the honest intention of, I'm willing to, to learn. Well, I had no choice. I didn't know what I was doing anyway. <laughs> it's about keeping an open mind and an open heart in many ways, Sean. And it's about saying to yourself, you know, there are three, three different kinds of learners. I learned this when I was working for a family support team. Some people go to training and they're prisoners. They've been sent there by their manager. Yeah. They don't really want to be there. They just go in there because it's part of their job. There are people then who are like tourists who, ah, oh, okay, might be useful, and they have a little look around. And then, and I'll call you this without kind of, you know, um, kind of meaning in a, in a negative way, it's a very positive thing. You're the explorer. You come, you were the one asking all the questions. You were the one who cared. You were the one who took the most probably from the course because you were the one who came into it with the most open mind. And said, oh, well, I might be wrong in terms of what I believe. And I'm talking to you tonight. And I'm giving you my personal opinion. And if people are watching this, they're thinking, oh, he's thinking he knows it all. I don't. I'm just giving my opinion 
and I'm open to be challenged. And people That's say, well, about on it. everyone's opinion's got to come into it. And you know, we've been on this call now for what 30 minutes, and the what I, I've taken away loads because some of the way you've explained stuff, I've never even considered or thought about. So I can imagine, I know everyone's like you said, you do get the people who are sent on a course because they have to be going on a course. And then I, how you can teach those people, I don't know, it must be infuriating a few odd times. But you've got people there who are passionate about what they do and who literally just want to learn. Well, I, I just, I just kind of, again, got this mantra now of, um, and this sounds a bit, sounds a bit cold, but if they want to come and kind of be sabotage of, of, of the course, great, okay, I still get paid. People like Sean, and luckily for me, you know, I and I was when I first started, I'd have 30 people on the course, 29 people would write really nice things, and one person would write something really horrible. Guess what? I went home and thought about the one person who yeah. said something horrible. I must have got it wrong. See, I'm just a fraud. They're going to find out. And 29 people were wrong, but and that's that's a, that's a reflection, then, isn't it? On our negative automatic thinking. How, yeah. you know, somebody could say to you, yeah, you're doing really well with this stuff. And if somebody put a negative comment on your Facebook page, that's probably the one thing you go, ah, Mike, are we doing the right thing? Because John Davis from Penrick Iber said that, you know, we got it wrong. You could have a thousand comments saying, boys, you're doing amazing. Yeah. But that's the way our bloody brains are set up sometimes, is to filter Pick the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. you said, even at that point whereby, you know, talking to people with, the difference between suicidal ideation and suicidal intent. There's many people I've worked with who said, I'll never kill myself, but my God, I think about it every day. Yeah, yeah we spoke about that a lot. I think there's a big difference between thinking it and thinking it, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's it. And, and, and again, we use the terms in mental health, ideation and intent. But, you know, so many of my patients will come in and say, Mark, you don't need to ask me that question because I'm telling you, I'm not going to kill myself. However, if you're asking me, do I think about killing myself? I've done it a million times over in my head. But there's protective factors. And when we, I'm on, on, it's a great website. I'm plugging. It's nothing to do with me. I don't get paid. But it's called Get Self Help. And on that Get Self Help website, there are brilliant tools, thought records to capture your negative automatic thinking, suicide safety plans. You can give a friend. You can give a colleague. You can literally say, look. What are your reasons for living? You're telling me about your reasons for dying. What are your reasons for yeah, living? Yeah. You know, brilliant things like that. Or, you know, it's called suicide first aid. But just them things that might just make a bit of a difference. Because in my experience, and it's just my experience I'm talking about, um, the people in my life, personally to me, who ended, and it's called completed suicide, of course, not committed suicide. That's the language they prefer, not committed. Because yeah. committed sounds like a... So of those who have completed a suicide, Personally and professionally in my life, I didn't get a chance. They had their plan. They went through with it. End yeah. of. You know? So if you've got somebody, if you've just got somebody in that space who's intent and you've got an opportunity to speak to them, you might be the most important conversation they ever have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just make sure that you're kind of present. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to have a manual. You just have to be present and do the one thing you can do. Listen. And we were always told you have two ears and one mouth. That means you listen twice as much as you talk. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think that's a really important message, actually, for just general life, I think, isn't it? Because people yeah. are quick enough to talk. And I think, not to say anyone in particular, but there's been people who, they've come and gone from a group for 100% that come in, 
give it all the big talk and then they say something and, and your alarm bells are ringing and you're like, oh shit, we got to now rescue this conversation because like you're driving that person into a negative space there and then yeah. we're talking to each other like, oh shit, like how are we going to get this back on course? And luckily the person's just gone, well, I ain't accepting that as an answer, <laughs> you know, and just moved on thankfully. But there's been the odd one or two comments and then there's only been about one or two comments, I think, and in my group we've gone, oh, we need to rescue this conversation. Like, yeah, yeah. It is difficult. But you said... What you say, Mark, constantly with a ne- with a negative approach, like you said, with those um, sheets on our website. What have you got to live for? I think a lot of which I consider, as you explained, isn't necessarily a mental health illness. It's feeling low moods. Yeah. A lot of with the group is everything is negative. That's why we try to flip everything as much as we can to the positive. Yeah. And that perfect example on our website, you're listing all these things that you. That's wrong in life, and why, why you want to come? It's, uh, it's basically pros and cons. It's like yeah. okay, it's okay to list all the reasons why life is rubbish, and it's okay to say all them things because actually it's helpful to name them things. Yeah. But there's also that side of like some people are very much in an awful situation. They've disconnected from their families. They don't see their children. They maybe they have been um, bereaved of many important people in their life. Maybe they have suffered with long-term abuse and you think to yourself my god this person has had it tough yeah, you know yeah. and and there's always that sense that they, they they they're facing that level of hopelessness but the 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 bottom line and the underlying message for me is if i'm speaking to them about that there's the opportunity i'd much prefer to have 25 of them conversations a week than yeah. find out that do you know what as we have so many times so many sad stories where you're like, my God, and we and there was a, you know, the rock star Brian May was on this week. You know, Brian May from Queen. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He was on this week, and he and he and he said something interesting on Instagram. He said that um, he went into hospital with a torn muscle in his leg, and then he had a bad back, and then he needed three stents in his heart, and he had this, this outpouring of grief almost, and people saying, "Oh my God, Brian, we love you. You know, we loved Freddie Mercury and together, we loved you together," and he said, I feel like I've been to my own funeral. Yeah. He said, I feel like people's I've been reactions. He said, because of the way people have been and how nice they've been. And he said, wouldn't it be lovely if the person who was just about to do that and kind of end their life was able to hear just exactly what yeah. people did to them? And, you know, because that's the reality. We, we, we've been there, haven't we, where you see people and you think, oh, my God, we thought that they had so much to live for. I mean, someone like in the media recently, Caroline Flack, for example. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, every boy fancied her. Everybody thought that she was, you know, probably the most hottest girl on TV. And yet, in her thinking, that wasn't the case. She didn't no. know what the rest of the world thought. And I guess that's the important thing, is that many people complete the suicide don't have a mental illness. And that might sound really crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I agree with after after you've explained stuff. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Might, yeah. Like actually, yeah, it could be termed as extreme sadness, profound sadness, despair, hopelessness, and just our thinking has done that to us. Our yeah. belief system has done that to us. Now, yeah, you could definitely term it as your mental health. There's nothing wrong with that, but to call it a mental illness always is not always true. So, yeah. so go back to the earlier conversation. If we can educate people on 
how do we express our emotions more fully? How do we understand when we say, I'm happy? Well, what does it feel like to be happy? How will I know that you're happy? If you told me today, Mike, you're happy, how will I know that? What will I see? If I was to have a camera looking at your day, what behaviors do you present around your kids and your partner when you're happy that you don't, and when you're on your bad days? What will I see on your bad days? Do you go in the bedroom? Do you sit on the Xbox? Do you just close the curtains and listen to music? Do you just curl up into a ball and just no one bothered? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massively, mate. Definitely is. I, I said, I, I'll be honest, when we said we do the podcast and I'll get Mark on the first one, I, I thought it'd be good to chat and your experiences, but you, you've opened my eyes so much in the space of 40 minutes. It's unbelievable. Well, if I can help in any way, Mike, that's great because I've known you a long time and my aim tonight was just to kind of give my views on mental health and mental illness because they're two oh, different you've, things. Yeah, you've definitely, I said, I mean, you've opened my eyes massively to it all and I think, you know, hopefully we'll get the people listening in. I think... It makes sense for a lot of people, you know, the way you're describing things and the way you say, because I think the society is too easy, uh, sorry, quick and easy to put a label to something when, yeah. like I said, it could just be sadness. But like I said, if you went to the doctor's feeling a bit low and they give you a pipe on depressants, the first thing you do is tell everyone I got depression. It's just and so easy to do. Because in many ways, that makes sense, doesn't it? That mm-hmm. makes sense, you know, because if you go to uh, the doctor's and he gives you uh, an asthma inhaler, then you must have asthma. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so it, yeah. it makes a lot of sense to people to kind of go, yeah, well, it's even even the word depressant is in there. The depression, yeah. you could even make the word, couldn't you, almost, of yeah. depression. So it's like, yeah, you've made the link. There it is. But think about like people like Robin Williams and all the kind of famous celebrities we've seen over the years. Now, there's somebody where you could argue did have what I would call, it used to be called dual diagnosis, now called co-occurring. Robin Williams did have a mental health problem, a mood disorder, which he regulated with illicit substances and prescribed medication. So it's justifiable to say. And there are many cases where it's justifiable to say. But let's just take each case because it's like the famous quote from autism. If you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And that really sticks home with me because I think if I've met you and Sean, for example, and I've met you as a younger man and I've met you and I've spoke to you on social media and I've met Sean a couple of times, um, you are much more. And if you have got a mental illness, which I'm not saying you haven't got, but if you have got a mental illness, not for me to say, I'm not a doctor. But yeah. if you are, okay, but you're much more than just that. You know your mental illness 24-7. And if no, you have no. emotional, emotional dysregulation, in other words, if your mood does fluctuate, well, maybe it's about thinking about when does it fluctuate? When are these good days more common? When are these bad days more common? What do people do to contribute to the bad day? What do you do to contribute to the bad day? What are the common factors? Relationships, money, all the stuff I've mentioned, you know? Yeah. Would you record stuff like that, marketing? If, if you felt that you was um, going through something and you was having good days, body. Would you diary that so you could start looking and rationalizing what you what was yeah, causing these things? So the, absolutely. So the website I mentioned has got a lot of CBT-based tools on it. So people like Aaron Beck and Christine Badesky are the kind of godfathers and godmothers of cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'm a strong advocate for CBT. And for me, if I was starting to feel that way, I'd want somebody to kind of carry out some CBT with me before I thought about medication. That's just my view. Yeah. Because we are largely a result of how we think, how we feel, and how we behave, that kind of triangle. But there's also, 
you know, thousands of neurons in the stomach, which affect the way we also feel. We talk about <laughs> the gut instinct. So, you know, sometimes you're like thinking, oh, I'm a bit uneasy. I'm a bit, I'm a bit anxious. I don't know why. Well, there's that kind of almost like they sometimes call it the second brain. So there's their messages coming from the gut to the brain, which then can create, oh, I'm having a panic attack. So you might be in Asda's, for example, and all of a sudden, well, came, I was popping in for a bottle of Coke and a pot noodle, and all of a sudden you're kind of hyperventilating in aisle four because there's this rush of physiological symptoms and psychological things that are going on for you. And you end up thinking, oh, my God, people are going to laugh at me. People are going to judge yeah. me. That's how people end up having panic attacks. And then they go to the doctors. And what happens? Well, luckily, in years gone by, they've stopped giving people diazepam willy-nilly. But people are craving for things to quell that. So what do we see people do? Oh, I'll have a glass of wine. I'll have a drink. I'll just have a yeah, couple of cans. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, and with that as well... Yeah, and, and with that, it, it, like, it fascinates me, like with um, Dr. Rhonda Patrick on about good gut health, like discovering when they see that the bacteria can cross into the brain through the blood um, barrier and things, and then you think about adding alcohol into that situation. The depressant. It's, it's just a cocktail that you don't want. You know, you're already feeling rough, and I've been guilty of it majorly. I've talked to Mike about this. I've had massive drink issues in the past. Like, the amount of people, chaps, who come to me and say, Mark, I can't sleep in the nights. And I say, well, tell me a little bit about what you're doing with yourself. Well, thing is, it's about two o'clock. I can't sleep. So I put uh, Call of Duty on the Xbox. Right, okay. So you've got the screen and that's stimulating you with the melatonin in your brain. And then I have a couple of cans of Red Bull and I still can't go sleep. <laughs> I'm feeling tired. So I think I'll stay on the game. So I take some Pro Plus and I make myself a cup of <laughs> and I can't. And, I, and do you know, Mark, for the life of me, I can't get back to sleep. So I take my medication and then I feel groggy. And then guess what, Mark? I sleep all day. And then, Mark, in the night, I can't sleep. You just see the pattern. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I go on Facebook at three or, four, three or four in the morning and I start arguing with somebody about Liverpool or Manchester United or, you know, and people are kind of, um, and, and, and Sean made a great point there, which tapped into an earlier point, which was if that link between the gut and the brain is there, I want to emphasize that point again. How physical does that make mental illness? Yeah, 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 yeah. How connected 100%. is it? You know, in dementia care, for example, we used to have patients who were very confused, very, very confused, and they say, oh, bless them, their dementia is deteriorating, their mind is kind of wasting away. And we find out that actually, no, they needed some antibiotics because they had a urinary tract infection. And they give them some antibiotics, and then the confusion clears up because they got toxicity. So we need to really become more aware, read books, watch YouTube videos, listen to some lectures. There's a fantastic lecture um, called Under the Skin by Russell Brand and a fantastic doctor who I really admire called Gabo Mate. And it's called Under the Skin, Russell Brand, great podcast on Spotify and other forums, um, talks very much about mental, mental health, mental illness, and how people regulate so if you've got a chance, guys, I would urge you to look at that, you know? So what yeah, I do as well is anything that you've mentioned that will actually link everything because yeah. if anyone's like me, it'll be like, it'll go on the list to do. And because it's not a link there, we become very lazy. I think, oh, I'll search it later. And then I've only got to walk out that door and I'll forget what you've said. 
Yeah, yeah, well, I'll leave that to you, Sean. You can find them links for you. <laughs> yeah, Sean's a biker. And, you know? Sean's a biker, do manager. I think they'll do it. Oh, Sean will do it. Sean will do it. Sean will do it. Sean will sort that out. I felt <laughs> like the East, like, Google Assist the other day or something on, when he was on the Skype chat. He was like, oh, yeah, that, oh, it'll come to me now. Googling away, you know what he's looking for. I'll post it now. <laughs> he's also all our favourite, um, I just want to take an opportunity, guys, just in case I don't have a chance um, throughout this, just to sort of thank you, really, on behalf of all men in the Valley, and I know women will have benefited from the stuff you do as well, but in terms of the stuff you've done, because, um, you know, lots of people kind of talk a good game and put up the odd quote on Facebook or something about mental health, and then they soon forget. But um, the stuff that you were doing, um, I know from personal experience, and I know from people who've kind of said they've watched some of your videos and read some of your supportive messages or had conversations with you. Um, you know, us services in mental health can't do it alone. We can't. We rely heavily on charities like Mind and we rely heavily on yeah. charities like New Horizons. But for you guys to do this in your own time, for no for no reason other than just to help people, you know, you walk in a pen van, you're helping people connect with themselves again. Um, you know, you might not kind of, uh, you might want to blush, but the reality is, you guys are doing really important work and you're not doing it because it kind of uh, pays the bills. You're doing it because you know what it feels like to walk in them people's shoes. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that, that It's more powerful yeah. than anything, you know, and, and um, um, you mentioned about um, people being proud of you, Mike and Sean, and earlier, the reality is um, that's, that's lovely that people would be proud of you, but the reality is what you're doing, your kids will remember and they'll take it on. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But you're right. Your you. But your kids are going to witness, and not just your kids, other people in your family, they're going to witness you helping people get through some really tough times, you know? So I want to thank you on behalf of, uh, yeah, oh, all of us involved. In yeah, I'm blessing, you know? I thought you'd be the one blessing when I introduced you. I wouldn't expect you to come back on us. My cap on stop me blessing. This is my non cap. This is my non blessing cap. <laughs> <laughs> I can't blush. I got ginger skin for my mother. If I blush, it sticks out really bad. <laughs> you know, we do. We said we, we when we set up the the group mark. It was. I'll be honest. I thought it'd be a flash in the pan thing. One month, two months of that. I wouldn't expect it to get the response that we had, and I wouldn't expect it to benefit me as much as what it what it has. To be honest, with you. I was in a good position at the time, but I'd probably gone up quite a, a few levels of my own sort of like. I'm, I'm, I think of your terminology, you know, my own emotions and things like that have really improved from it. So yeah. we do do it to help others, but in turn, we are helping ourselves as well. So it's a win-win for us, really. That's yeah. what it should be about, isn't it? It's like anything else. It's like me running a football club, Mike. I run a football club because I love football, but I run a football club because it connects me with people. It makes me do something I enjoy doing. I get the joy of seeing somebody who perhaps hasn't got the best life all of a sudden come on a Saturday afternoon and feel important and feel connected and you know that's what it's all about we're, we're, whether we like it or not we're just higher order animals who can just speak yes. you know the monkeys would be doing what we do if they could speak you know it's just <laughs> we, we need other people we need other people to connect with you haven't got to like everybody you're going to meet some arseholes along the way excuse my language but it's about saying to yourself well it's like going down the A470. You're going to pass some people who are bad drivers. That doesn't mean that everybody on the road is a bad driver. And life's a bit like that. It's full of good and bad people and people in between who can be good yeah. and bad at the same time. Yeah, it depends on who they're in. <laughs> well, you know, 
I, I, I can hold my hand up. Have I been, you know, bad? Yeah, there's some things I've done which I'm not proud of. Have I been good? I've yeah, seen you passionate on a football pitch, Mark. I've seen you passionate more than one time on a football pitch. <laughs> That's it. I was I was a very average footballer, a very average footballer, but everything I done, I done it with hundred yeah. percent. So for me, the fact that I wasn't, you know, any kind of Ronaldo didn't matter to me because what I got out of football and what I still get out of football, for example, is all the things I talked about tonight. It's yeah. the camaraderie, it's the connections, it's the you know, oh well, he's not a very good footballer. Well, I'm okay, I'm not a very good footballer, but I've I've had more out of football than people who could do. A thousand keepy uppies. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, it's given me for life. You know, like I bump into Leighton now. I bump yeah. into people like Steve and Jason. I see these people in the Kaiba, Mountain Ash. And it's like that's part of your history. And you guys together, you know, you're like um you're like the new kind of double act, the Anthem Deck of the Valley, you know? Am <laughs> <laughs> I on no, I don't I do it for news now. Am I the five head one? I'm not gonna comment, I just think Step brothers, we normally go by, don't we? Yeah, the step brothers, Will Ferrell. Yeah, we got taxes and everything ready for our first big meeting with the mental health services team. As long as you don't become the Chuckle Brothers, you'll be all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, give it time, give it time. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, um, I thought that was good, guys. I don't know you. First one, I thought it went well. Yeah, good luck. Anything else, that. Mark? Or are you, are you... No, no, nothing for me. I, thanks for the opportunity first, just to say thanks for the opportunity. Um, I probably have rambled on more than I should have. Oh, it's brilliant, Mark, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I, I do honest, when we said that, um, I was quite nervous of how it was going to flow, how it was going to go. But the fact, yeah. but the stuff you've talked about as well is so important. The stuff you've opened me up to as well will we'll open other people's eyes up to different yeah. views uh, on how they look at things. So, I yeah, it's gone much better than I thought. And at the moment, obviously, we've been locked and we've got to do it like this. But when we, hopefully, things progress with us with the podcast now, it'd be great to get you back in and more of a sit-down environment where we're all yeah. together talking about it, you know? I mean, I'm not just saying this. It sounds a bit kind of um, cheesy, guys, but I've dedicated my life to mental health, you know, because yeah. it's given me so much in a sense of mental health, you know, nursing and talking about um, and the profession, but just people. So if we, again, remove terminology like mental health nursing, mental health services, mental health systems, mental health support uh, pages and charities, um, people, connecting yeah. with people and just kind of like you guys have, like the opportunity you've had, you know, getting a group of key people together walking up in a van or doing kind of uh, charity gigs or the football match, which I know that was planned and kind of yeah. obviously has hit a bit of a brick wall now with COVID. You know, that's what it's about, about connecting. And for me, the message I would want to take away from this conversation and conversations in the future is um, don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. Allow yourself to be human. Allow yourself to cry. I mean, my partner cry, laughs at me now because... I literally cry over adverts, you know. Um, I cry over a song. I cry over. I was watching a program last week with Ricky Gervais on Netflix called Afterlife, and every five minutes, you know, I'm wiping my eyes, and that's okay to be human. Yeah. And it's okay. I know it's your term. That's okay not to be okay. But even when it's, I'm even when I'm okay, it's still okay to have sad days, happy days, angry days, frustrated days. It's called being human. Yeah. And we're so harsh on ourselves because we've got to fit into a stereotype of, oh, well, if he's like this for a prolonged period, he must have low mood. 
well, he might, or he might just have really crap circumstances that need to change. Yeah. You know? And disconnecting with not so much always the past, not so much thinking in the future, but in a very mindful way, living in the moment. Yeah. That's, that's, a, else, you know? that's a perfect way to uh, finish up. We was going to ask you for your final thoughts, Mark. Yeah. I, think, I, think you, I think you actually nailed that, mate, to be honest with you. I think that was uh, inspiring and very well said, to be honest with you. I, yeah, I, I, I like that. I play too. So, uh, well, these guys, um, keep in touch. And as I said to you, when the world changes back to some version of normal, um, <laughs> happy to bump into you. i got some training coming up. You're both invited to. I'll send you some links. Um, in your Excellent, inbox, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, more than welcome, and um, look look forward to uh, you know, a mutual partnership where definitely hundred percent. You guys, I'll, I'll always be there, you know, because uh, you're doing great work. Yeah, thank you very much, Mark. Thank I really man. appreciate your time, mate. Really do. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Have a lovely evening, boys. Right. about that because we don't like talking about anything.